Let's open up our Bibles this morning to that uh, probably most well-known psalm, the 23rd Psalm. Still sticks in my mind uh, in the basement of First Presbyterian Church of Houston, Pennsylvania. In Mrs. Miss McIlvain's class, when you had to begin to memorize certain things so that you could get your Bible. Uh, and uh, the 23rd Psalm was one of those. It was the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, and the Ten Commandments, I think. Was that it? Oh, the Beatitudes. Maybe the Beatitudes. I ran out of fingers. Um, and you got, I can remember the, the certificate even. Um, so don't think, you know, your kids don't remember this stuff. You've got a star in each spot. And when you, when you were done, you got a black leather zippered King James Bible, which I couldn't understand. You know, I, I, it, was, it was a great Bible, but it was one of those things that you always strive for. So, um, like many people who memorize the Lord's Prayer, uh, I memorize it in King James. Okay, uh, which, you know, which a lot of things, it depends upon when you were raised and what era you came from, is how you memorize or what, what version you memorize Scripture from. Well, we're going to, we'll, we'll stand and, and I'll read the 23rd Psalm, so let's stand together if you're able. We're only going to deal with two verses out of this and really two phrases, uh, but the psalm is so good, uh, we're going to have to read it all. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you to uh, feast upon the banquet that is before us, your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend and open our eyes to it, that we would have more than just an understanding of the words of the page, but our hearts would understand it, our minds would understand it, all that we are would see what it is that you have for us today, how that we might live out these things, how we through reading them, digesting them, making them our own through the work of your Spirit, might take them with us, that they might flow from all that we do and say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to Psalm 23. It's a psalm of David. Well known. Everybody knows that David was a shepherd, so these are things that came from his life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You know, even as I read, I want to say the still waters. And uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days. So I have to think, okay, this is what, what I'm reading here. So uh, we see so many promises of God in this psalm. And, and, you know, this is one of those things in our study of Psalms, which will go on and off for, for many years to come, we will return here because there are so many good things. And really, we're only going to deal with, you've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. 
Those are really the two things that we're going to deal with out of this psalm today. But we're going to touch on a couple other things just so that we're up to speed on what all this means. He promises to provide for us, to protect us from harm, to give us rest, to renew our strength. uh, And we, as we put our trust in our Heavenly Father, He will give us comfort. He will give us correction. He will guide us. He will guard us. I mean, the 23rd Psalm speaks of a... uh, a generous God, a gracious God, uh, who gives us way more than we deserve. Just like the loving shepherd who goes and protects his sheep against all the other the, the threats that are out there because sheep really have no defenses uh, against anything. Uh, they're one of those animals that, that don't fight back. They stand there. You know, the wolves come and they go, they all get in a big little pile and go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and the ones on the inside say, you're going to be eaten, and I'm not. Like, hey, that's what goes on. Um, so, and, and, and God gives us so much, and, and we know that there's his presence and his, his peace. And Paul goes on later to say that it's the peace that passes all understanding. It's the peace that the world does not grasp and, and cannot know because it only comes through Jesus Christ. So as we look at these, these two phrases, really, anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows, you know, in ancient Israel, the shepherds used oil for two purposes. That was to repel insects and therefore to protect the sheep and to heal the wounds of the sheep. And, and every night as, as uh, the, they would come into the sheep pen, if they were close enough to have a sheep pen, uh, close enough to town, the shepherd would feel the sheep. The sheep would actually have to walk between his legs, and he would feel them for injuries or things that are stuck in their wool. And if he found injuries, he would have the oil there, and he would rub the oil over the injury. Now, the sheep didn't understand this. He just knew that the shepherd was watching out for him. And we're not all that different from sheep, really. Um, I mean, insects can drive us crazy. Uh, bugs can just make us, um, you know, they can agitate us. Think of if you've ever been uh, at the beach or someplace where the ground is particularly sandy. Um, we, we lived in Wilmington for six years in North Carolina, and this was every spring, every summer it would happen. You know, the, the noceums would come up. You know what the noceums are? Oh, man, it's driving you crazy. Little sand gnats. And if, because you want, you're in your flip flops and, and there's something on your ankles and, you, and you're, you're just standing there talking and going like this because something's biting your feet. And then you look down, you can't see them because they're so small and almost invisible. And then they, they kind of rise up and then they get up into your face and oh, it just makes you crazy, okay? So that's one of the ways that the shepherd would deal with the sheep when we deal with anointing his head with oil. So let's look at this real-world application of what that meant in the, in the sheep's life, in the shepherd's life. In the summertime, sheep were affected by this same type of thing. And, and because, you know, if you, if you watch horses out in the field in the summer, they'll stand this way, Okay. One is standing facing this way, and one is standing facing this way, and they got their tails going like this, and they look like they're whopping each other in the face sometimes. Well, it kind of helps to keep the flies off and things like that. Sheep don't do any of that. And there was a, in, in the Middle East, there's a, an especially troubling uh, fly that comes in the summertime. It, it, it rises at a certain season, right at the beginning of the summer, and it loves to hang out around the sheep's 
nose, the, the mucous membrane around its nose. And if he gets in there and lays some eggs, the sheep is in trouble because those eggs will then hatch into little worm-like larvae. And that little larva will go like this around in the sheep's nose. And a sheep can't go like this. If you watch your dog, it goes like this and things like that. A sheep can't do that. So a sheep will begin to run around and shake its head. And if it can find a tree, it'll bang its head against a tree trying to stop this irritation within its nose. It will literally sometimes drive the sheep crazy because they won't eat, they won't drink. Uh, they'll just be so distracted and so consumed with this agitation that they will eventually die. So the good shepherd, that the first sign of those flies will come out with the oil and will take and anoint the sheep's head with oil and that oil will keep the flies away. Now, what does the sheep have to do? The sheep has to stand still, has to bow its head, has to lower its head, put their trust in the shepherd so that the work of the shepherd will protect them and will heal them. The sheep don't understand why the oil repels the flies, why it keeps them safe. All they know is that the shepherd is taking care of them, that the shepherd loves them. And in his presence, they feel a peace and they feel safe. Well, same type of thing can happen in our lives. I mean, maybe not with flies and larvae and things, but what is it in our life that drives us to distraction? What is it that gets us all worked up to the point that we want to beat our heads against the wall because there are so many things going on and we just can't seem to focus? The day-to-day issues wear us down, and, and often things that aren't important become really burning issues in our lives if we let them, if they, if they rise up. And, and then think of, think of this. We used to be busy, and then the electronic world came. And now you've got 20 emails each day that you have to read, or depending upon your work, you may have 200 emails that you have to read, and you have to respond. Now, how do you respond? Like, like if you text me something, you'll probably get the letter K back to stand for okay, okay? That, okay, that's it. But, but not everybody's like that. Some people, you know, they like to answer in full. They like to answer in full and correct sentences with the proper grammar and everything. So all that takes time. And, and that's time that, that has to be added on into everything else that we do. Or then your friend comes up and says, hey, I haven't seen you on Facebook lately. Aren't you doing anything in life? Did you see my post? Well, no, I'm too consumed with stuff over here. I can't do that. Then you had your work and your children and your home and your sports and your grandchildren and your doctors and the yard and, and the list goes on and on. Before you know it, we're consumed with all these things. But the good shepherd promises to care for us, to care for us. But we have to be ready to follow him. We have to be ready to follow his tender, uh, tender care for us so that he can heal our wounds. What does the sheep have to do? The sheep has to walk up, stand still, bow its head before the Lord before the shepherd, and to be cared for. The same type of thing for us. We can't just stay on the wheel hoping the problems will go away. We have to go to the Lord with them. And so often, like stubborn sheep, we might rebel. We might allow those things of bitterness to dwell and to rise up in our hearts, but you can't let them get under our skin. We have to go to the Lord and receive what he has for us, to bow before him, to trust him that he will do his work. But 
like the sheep, one application of the oil is not enough. You just don't, doesn't happen the first sign of the flies and the shepherd comes out and hits them with the oil and then they're good for the rest of the season. He has to come back and repeatedly apply that oil for their protection. We have to go back to the Lord again and again and to seek his face and, and to, to ask for him to care for us. I mean, it's never as if he says, okay, well, I'm going to do this today, but tomorrow you're on your own. He never does that. But there is this aspect of us in our lives where we have to go to him. He is ready to care for us. He is ready to anoint us with his healing oil and his balm, the balm of, uh, you know, the old hymn, the balm of Gilead. Some of you remember the balm of Gilead, okay? That's the oil that's waiting for us. But we must go to the Lord and seek that. Seek it in his word. Seek it in prayer. Seek it in quietness and stillness before him. Because it's out of that anointing that the abundance comes. Look at Psalm 23, verse 5. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and then what follows? Then my cup overflows. Okay, You've anointed my head with oil. And my cup overflows. We go to the Lord. We seek the care that he has for us. And he has got care for us. It's not as if we go to the Lord like three days in a row. And he says, hey, I've talked to you three days. I got other, I got other people to care for. Okay. We can all go to him every day, twice a day, five times a day, a hundred times a day. And he, we have his full attention. His full attention. Now, my cup overflows. This is, this is an image that we don't usually get in our world today. Because if you're pouring someone a drink and it overflows, what do you do? Get the napkins out. Okay, and you have to clean it up. That's not the way that it was in the ancient Middle East. An overflowing cup was a sign of welcome. An overflowing cup was a sign of, I am so glad that you were here. I, I am blessed by your presence, and I have blessing for you. Now, the guest, if you would go to somebody's house, and, and you would stay, and you would have dinner, as long as the host or the servant kept filling your cup, you knew you were welcomed. When you got and your cup was empty, that was a sign that maybe you should go. That's like, how many of you... Um, uh, I keep showing my age. Miss Manners, okay? How many of you have never read anything from Miss Manners? Oh, man. Well, I didn't think uh, Alden would, okay? <laughs> Miss Manners was the, um, was the uh, guru of manners, as you can understand. So people would write in and ask her questions about the proper way to behave. You know, uh, when do you write thank you notes? When do you not write thank you notes? How, well, how long should they be? All these types of things. And I can remember specifically Miss Manners saying it was time to leave a, a, a party or a, a dinner engagement or something the first time your host, oh, God, okay? <laughs> that was a sure sign. Time to go, okay? Time to go. Well, if, in the Middle East, if, if they left your cup empty, better hit the road. Now, the other side of that is what I mentioned before. If you came in and your host took the wine and began to pour it into your cup and it would overflow, nobody would run there with a napkin. That was a sign. He was so glad you were here, and, and this is a sign of great blessing. Okay, The same way here, my cup overflows. This is a sign of blessing of the Lord. There are no half measures. As Jimmy said in, in, in the call to worship, there are no half measures in the Lord. When he blesses us, he pours it down upon us. 
in great measure. He rains it down upon us. He gives us blessing even in the presence of my enemies. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Just think about that for a moment. Here you are. You're surrounded by your enemies. You're surrounded by trials and troubles and tribulations. And, and, and literally, David understood what it was to be surrounded by his enemies. And, and what happens at a meal? You sit down and you relax and you feel comfortable and you feel confident. This is the meal the Lord prepares for us. Our enemies can surround us, but here we have safety. Here we have security. Here in the cup of the Lord we have something that we cannot find anywhere else in the world. Think of sheep for a minute. Scaredy sheep. Afraid sheep. The wolves come, as I mentioned earlier, they just get in a big circle. And, you know, the ones on the outside, they're like, you know, they're, they're toast. And, and they're, everybody's shaking. But yet, the Lord says you can be like sheep and you can be surrounded by wolves, but here you can have peace. Here in me you can find comfort. Here in me you can find everything that you cannot find in the world. The world is out there trying to eat you up. And here you find peace. The Lord prepares the table. And it overflows with all the joys and all the blessings that he has. Let's go and, and, and see an illustration of this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, this is, this is classic Paul from verse 3 through verse 21. It's one long sentence. Okay? And we just don't write like that anymore. We write sentences that are 10 or 12 words. Paul just went on and on and on in one sentence. And, uh, you know, the, the, the New American Standard, which we have here, doesn't, doesn't translate it as one sentence. It breaks it into, I know there's a period at the end of 14, um, but it is in the Greek. It's just a big, long sentence. It's almost as if Paul gets started on this. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he gets this all jazzed up, and it begins to pour out, and he can't even take a breath. It, uh, you, you just imagine Paul writing this. You know, just, just writing, 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 no stopping this. It's just one after another, these blessings that come through us to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the, the immensity of the blessing that the Lord gives us. Adoption um, as sons. Grace he freely bestows. Redemption through his blood. And what's verse 8 say? He lavished upon us. This is not the eyedropper God. Blessing here, blessing there. This is lavish God. He blesses us in these ways. Our cup overflows. Remember Jesus said what? I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Not so that you can be pitiful. Well, some days we are pitiful. But the life that we have in Christ is an abundant life if we understand it from him. God promises to bless us abundantly. He promises to anoint us with his Holy Spirit for our cup to overflow. Now, back to Psalm 23. We understand that this process of understanding what the Lord has for us 
and receiving it and, 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 and rejoicing in it, the, the Holy Spirit makes it available. The Holy Spirit enables us to receive it. What do we have to do? We're already saved. We are already, our lives have been changed by the Lord. There's work on our part too. And that's, that's this mystery of the process of sanctification. The Lord works. We work. It's a changing of our will over to his. So he has this great amount of blessing for us. But sometimes, you know, I like my cup the way it is. Okay? I'm pretty happy with it. I don't want any more of what the Lord's got. Because sometimes the Lord was going to pour things into my cup that are going to cost me. Or might be difficult for me in the short run. Might be difficult for me in the long run. Yet it is his, and it is his blessing that he is pouring in to my cup. There are some restaurants that you go to that have coffee cups on the table already. Or if you go to some event at the Von Braun Center, I think this is the way they work it. And if you want coffee, what do you do? You set your cup upside, right side up. If you don't want coffee, you don't turn your cup Right side up. I want the Lord's blessing. I've got to get my cup ready. I've got to get ready to receive it. I've got to do the things that he calls me to do. I've got to fill my mind with his word. I've got to fill my heart with his word. I've got to do the things in which I can experience and receive the grace that he has for me and the blessings that he has for me. Now, there are several different cups listed in Scripture, and some are just figurative and some are literal. Uh, Jeremiah talks a lot about the cup of consolation cup of consolation and if you have trials but the comfort in your trials come from the Lord that is Jeremiah's cup there Charles Spurgeon talks about it this way he says we mind not the black clouds of trouble when we learn that the light of God is sown in them for righteousness it is true that we are sometimes if needs be in heaviness through manifold temptations but our morning ends at morning. Our dark nights will soon be ended, and then a daylight comes of which the sun shall go down no more forever. The cup of comforts, which is the Holy Spirit, fills and brings to us, is so rich, so suitable, so operative upon our nature that we may well rejoice as we think of it this morning. So the cup of consolation is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we think what, uh, oh, we're... Things are coming to an end. Spurgeon says it's, it's darkest in these clouds. It's darkest at night. But our morning ends at morning light. Our morning ends when we understand what the Lord has for us, that he is at work in our lives, that the Holy Spirit is there comforting us, caring for us no matter what it is that we face. Now, as you can see, we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. This is one of the other cups that is mentioned in the Scripture. It is the cup of the new covenant, the cup that the Lord took and turned from the promises of the Old Testament to the fulfillment of the covenant in his blood that was shed for us. Now, the Lord's Supper is not a meal to be eaten on the run. It's not just a pass through. I've got lunch to get to. We get the meal. We go on. It's not the way that it is. It's not a meal to be eaten when you are thinking about other things, when your mind is focused upon other things. It is a meal in which our full attention is demanded. Our full heart is to be laid bare before the Lord as we come to his table. It's not a meal uh, that you get out of the fridge of leftovers and eat while you're watching TV. This is not that type of meal. 
This is a meal in which we come to that has been prepared for us. We are called to this table. The food here was prepared especially for us. It was prepared by the one who knows you, the one who loves you more than we can even imagine that love. He has made this table for us. It's prepared by the one who longs to show us how much he loves us, to spend time with us. The psalmist had physical enemies that were chasing him. But yet he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies where I can sit and I can find peace. And even though I'm surrounded by the enemies that want my life, I will know peace and I will know quiet here and I will know the joy of sharing a meal. Don't be afraid. Or if you are afraid, here is the cup of consolation, the cup of the Holy Spirit's anointing. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. God comes looking for us, and he grabs us, and he saves us, and then he says, I've got a meal for you in which you can find peace, in which you can have everything that I have promised for you. Thomas Cranmer, who was the leader of the English Reformation, put it this way, We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature it is always to have mercy. We can accept the invitation because God loves us, loves us so much that Jesus has taken our place, our punishment, dying for our sins instead of us. My cup runs over. The Lord pours so much into it. But, but think of the blessings of, of the secular world. I, there was a report out last week, maybe the week before, eight people in the world own as much as 50% of the world. Now, if you've been to the DR on any of the mission trips, you know that I probably own as much as half the DR, okay? And I don't own that much. So there are some really poor places in the world. But eight people own as much as 50% of the people in the world. Now, those are material blessings. Those are temporal blessings. And we are to never turn our nose up at, at the blessings we receive, either through hard work or through providence of the Lord. But at the same time, we realize that those are only temporal blessings. And if your cup overflows with only temporary things, then your cup can very easily run dry and turn into a cup of bitterness instead of a cup of blessing. Andrew Fuller was a particular Baptist pastor, 1700s, 1800s, and he was uh, invited by a guest into a bullion shop. Well, it was full of gold bullion. And, and there was this hoard of gold bars, and he picks one up, and he took it in his hand, and he looked at it and said, how much better it is to hold it in your hand than to hold it in your heart? How much better it is to hold it in your hand than to hold it in your heart. Gold in your hand will not hurt you. Gold in your heart will destroy you. The promise of Scripture is what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what do you get? All these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be added unto you. In the Puritan days, when they got a package, a gift or something, it was wrapped up in brown paper and string. One famous Puritan says, Earthly comforts are like paper and string which you need not go to buy, 
For you will have them given to you when you purchase the more valuable things. See, when you seek the more valuable things, the things that aren't that valuable will come to you. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all those other things come unto you. Well, here at the Lord's table, let us get all of this blessing that we can because the Lord has it for us. It's not as if, again, he's not a miser. He says, take and eat, drink all of it. But we have to ask ourselves, do I come to the table thirsty? Do I thirst for the righteousness that is here laid out for me? If you, if you remember maybe in your life today or your young married life, if you were around both families, what did you do on Thanksgiving? Okay? If you were close enough to drive to both households, maybe you had a uh, noon meal at one parent's house and then you went and had an evening meal at another parent's house. And Thanksgiving, there's a lot of food and you might have got to the second house going, jeez, oh, I don't know if I have room to eat this. Okay? You weren't thirsting after turkey. Well, if you fill your heart and your mind with the banquet that the world has, you won't be thirsting after righteousness. And when you get to this table, you'll go, oh, okay, I have to come to the table today. But if your heart thirsts after the things of the Lord, if your heart (laughs) desires and, and is hungry for the spiritual nourishment that the Lord has for you, the blessings... If in your heart you want to see your cup just overflow as the Lord pours into it. Because as he pours into it, his blessing and his mercies and his grace, what's going to be forced out of our cup? The things of anger and bitterness and jealousy. Those things are going to be forced out as we get more of the Lord into our lives. That's what we hunger and thirst for. That's the blessings of the Lord's cup. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get ready for the table today, as we get ready to feast on these simple things, remind us that we are yours, that you have called us by name, that you have drawn us unto yourself, and that for the life that is changed by the the blood of Christ and washed clean of our sins, We need to thirst after righteousness. We need to thirst after your grace, after your presence in our lives. Seek the the healing anointment of your Holy Spirit so that we might understand these blessings that you have for us. Prepare our hearts now, Lord, that we are right before you as we come to your table. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.